Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 363, recorded December 5th. And I'm Brian Aachen. And I'm Michael Kennedy. And this week we are sponsored by ourselves, so we will uh, plug our own stuff a little bit later. Um, and if you want to follow the show, uh, follow it at uh, Python Bytes at Fostodon.org. And also Michael and I are both on Fostodon as well. Um which is Mastodon. If you're anywhere other than Fostodon, also, that's fine. You can still follow us. But if you would like an invite, hit one of us up and we will send you an invite. Mastodon has made it easier to start following people from other instances, by the way. I don't know if you remember how it used to be. You'd go and be, somebody would be like at mass.to and it'd be like, sign in. And you try to, you couldn't follow them. You have to sign in. You're like, but I don't have oh, an yeah. account here. What is this weirdness? So now if you say follow, it'll pull a drop down and say, you know, give me a few letters out of your instance. And then we'll direct you over there where you're signed in to click follow. So it's a little bit easier to follow anybody oh. on Mastodon. It's still clunky. I don't know why it's so hard, but. So what I usually do is I, I'm not tried that. I usually like pop, pop somebody's uh, whole, like say at mkennedy at fostodon.org or something. I pop mm -hmm. it in the search the search yeah, bar that's what i did previously as well yeah yeah it usually it usually finds the person right so yeah yeah you can even put just the whole url of their profile without reordering it to their yeah, username but if i'm trying to find the url that's sometimes uh, uh yeah so indeed in. all right well it's mastodon's getting a little smoother and actually mastodon conversations are going to be featured at least in my my stuff here cool. somewhat heavily so yeah let's talk about fix it so fix it is this what's what's the best way to put it it's probably a flake eight like they, they compare it to flake eight. This comes from meta, AKA Facebook, and it's a linter for their mono repo. And when you hear mono repo, that is not a monolith. Uh, ironically, a lot of times the more broken up your code is the more it fits a mono repo. But anyway, it's, they have literally a single repo. Is it Git? I'm not sure, but something like a single Git repo for all of Facebook, which is just insane. They want to lint that and they want to have uh, things like black applied to it. And black actually came from Lukas Lenga, who was at Meta at the time. So kind of funny, but they don't use black. Uh, I don't know why they don't use black. They have some reasons. Seems like black saw some of them and could be probably adapted while uh, Lukas was there. But anyway, they don't. So they had this thing called fix it that goes through and is, is more like black, even though they compare it to flake eight in that it not just finds problems, but fixes them and normalizes things like where do your commas go in a list, you know, or you have a plus to continue a line. Is that at the end of the one line or the beginning of the other line, right? Those kinds of things we're all familiar with. So okay. they built one called fix it. And now they released another one called fix it Two That's supposed to be better. And they open sourced it so people can check this out if they're interested. Right. Mm. So I'll tell you quick about it, a uh, quick few things about it. And let's bump over to the Mastodon, not the Mastodon, Omnivore, other, other thing, other thing. Yeah, Cause I have notes on this big long thing. So it turns out that Python is super popular over at Meta, which is really cool. And they have production engineers and software engineers. So production engineers are like software devs who do production, their main role is to do production. And they also have a whole Python language foundation team, which is pretty interesting. And the job of this team is basically to build tools for the rest of the team. And that's where this fix it thing comes. So one question is like, why not just use say black or flake eight or, or whatever right? format? Well, Hey, well now we're getting there. Okay. So uh, it says, of course there's alternatives to flake eight, but for example, flake eight doesn't fix things. It just tells you that there are errors. Yeah. It 
has um, limited support. And this is kind of interesting for hierarchical configurations for different projects within a monorepo. So even though it's a monorepo, maybe like the API gets formatted this way, but the, I don't know, the oh. DevOps code gets a different set of configurations because it's a different team, but you still want to just hit the repo with it, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting. So there, there's, it's, it's worth bringing up, I thought, because there are some interesting ideas and some interesting challenges. Slow performance on code, on large code bases. And then another thing that they do a lot is they plug in custom rules, linting rules and correction rules, per, like at a hierarchical level, yeah. which, is, which is kind of interesting, right? Now... Brian, I know not everyone sees it, but I have a list of these four things, these four reasons of why not just X. <laughs> Three of them are green because rough absolutely hits all, rough form, rough space format hits all of those. Rough format didn't exist. And I honestly wonder if rough format existed, you know, this is, is this a thing that gets created? I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, it's an open question. I didn't know that, that rough could do hierarchical configuration. Uh, I actually am. Well, what rough can do is you can have a rough.toml that configures it at mm. different levels, right? So given the number of engineers and the fact there's a single repo, how hard would it be to automate, search this repo for all the rough.tomls, run rough format dot in that working directory? Yeah. Done. You know what I mean? Right. It would, I don't think it inherently does, but in 30 minutes it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> of, of one person's time. So I wouldn't suspect like as a company, like, well, we couldn't possibly have somebody write that automation. That's way too much for us. So, you know, so I, I think that obviously I don't believe that's a, you know, dash dash hierarchical sort of option, but I think that could easily, easily be added. So uh, that's pretty cool. It says even with, here's the irony is even with the one we built, the, um, it didn't contain the local rent, rent uh, linting rules or the hierarchical configuration. <laughs> And those are the core requirements. So it's like, okay, well, we redesigned it to this new one, right? And what's interesting is it works on the using the lib CST module, okay, which is a concrete syntax tree. You often hear of the AST or abstract syntax tree, which is like the intent of the code is to loop over this iterable, but it is not the variable is named this. And there's yeah. two spaces here and there's a comment, right? It tries to like throw away, just get to the essence, but the CST is the code just in hierarchy form. And which means if you want to fix it, right, that's way more applicable for uh, these kinds of tools here. So anyway, people can check it out. It's on PyPI. And I think it's an it's an interesting thing to contrast with Rough. So yeah. yeah, anyway, it's out there for people. It's obviously tested on some pretty seriously large code bases. And it could be interesting. But uh, I'm still going to a rough space format dot <laughs> for, my, for my money. Yeah. Yeah, interesting comment from uh, Grant. Um, in the chat, uh, another YAML file for each uh, sub project as opposed to supporting PyProjectTOML. Yuck. But, you know. To totally fair. In this yeah. case, I, I think it might be like That's... you got to remember this isn't just Python, right? This is like every bit of code at Facebook. Oh, yeah. Right. So it's it's probably React, PHP, optimized PHP, Go. I, who knows oh, how probably... much stuff is in there? gobs of config files in each project yes it's yeah. yeah i mean you wouldn't want all the configs of, for all the languages all mixed together right so anyway yeah but still interesting interesting yeah. stuff anyway um all right um how would you like to talk about user interfaces you know we have been known to go on a gooey kick before <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while let's do it yeah i'm here for it all right so um samuel colvin uh the... as long as you make it fast brian <laughs> 
Uh, that was funny. Um, the the person that brought us uh, Pydantic is has um, has worked very closely with uh, Fast API as well. So Fast API and Pydantic work great together. Now there's Fast UI. Well, Fast UI is working with uh, Fast API, but it also works with other stuff too. So so Samuel Colvin has just recently brought us Fast UI, um, which is it uh, looks like in active development, it's been uh, modified five hours ago and the um, uh, it's already got, but it only, I only heard about it like last week and um, it's now at 1.8 thousand stars. Um, nice. That's pretty awesome. Anyway, um, so what's this? Uh, it is supposedly a, uh, it's still a work in progress, so not production ready, but it's a way to build app, web applications and web UIs. Um, defined by declarative Python code. So uh, there's a few points around this. It's, a, it's, it's for, there's a bunch of parts of it. It's a, it's a PyPI package, uh, fast UI, but so it brings in some models and some UI elements and components. Um, it's also an NPM package. So you, it brings in a little uh, React TypeScript stuff. Um, the, so what does it really mean though? It means that you can kind of look at in, in there's a couple examples he shows, uh, you declare it kind of like this. Uh, you're declaring um, is sort of t- for a, a, a fast API endpoint, like user table or something like that. That's an endpoint. It's going to uh, return this thing that doesn't look like HTML and it doesn't quite look like Python either, but it is. It's like a there's a C page object, which wraps the page. There's components inside, which is a list of things like headings and a table. And it, it, I don't really know what this looks like, <laughs> but it's not bad. Um, so I'm kind of excited to play with it. But in a few lines of code, he shows a fairly workable, clean-looking user interface. And then uh, along with it, uh, for the release, he released a full demo, which you can walk through um, a UI demo that is really zippy and works pretty good. Like the tables one is kind of fun because it shows like uh, a whole bunch of names and popular of names of cities and populations. And you can quickly filter by country and it's like super fast. So um, I think you get kind of a lot for not much work. If the, if the workflow looks okay. So you've done more UIs than I have. What do you think of this? It's interesting. Okay. Um, So when I think of building web apps for myself, I don't shy away from saying, oh, I have to write HTML or there has to be a, a template model or something like that, right? That's that's okay for me. Yeah. But I've been doing it for 15 years, at least, I would say. I probably started doing web stuff in 2000, so that's a little bit more than that. Anyway, that's a long time, so I'm super comfortable with it. But I know there's a lot of use cases where I just want something quick and easy. I want a simple deployment or I'm not a web developer and I just want to get this up and going. I like it. Um, a lot of the sort of low code, zero HTML styles of that I've seen like, oh, here you can do it in Python, have kind of a top to bottom linear way of creating the code. And I super dislike that, right? Like first I'm going to create a page object. Then I'm going to say page.components.add. Then I'm going to go page.components.add and then I'll get a table and I'll say table.rows.add. You know, like, wow, like it makes it really hard to see the visual look. So you go check out the fast UI GitHub readme, you'll see that the structure and the indentation of the code matches the DOM. And that's quite nice. Yeah. So I really like that aspect of it. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Flutter, 
where you write code in the exact same way you've got, I don't know if you call it a DOM, but whatever the, the widget graph is in called in Flutter, you do the same type of thing. Like you, you'd have a body and then the body has a child and then the child can be some complex thing and it's all inherit, uh, nested in a very, very similar way. So yeah, I think it's super interesting. I think it will empower a lot of people. I like the structure of the code matches the thing you're building that makes it way more appealing to me because that's part of what's nice about html you go in there and you're like you're in the table and you're indented in the table visually you know what i mean yeah yeah the um and there's 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 a lot of fun stuff here too so even like forms and stuff that you can do with um even server-side validation so uh that it's not just a component library but also some um, some React and some other things going with it is pretty cool. The uh, Kim brings up uh, something that I I thought of directly for myself. Uh, yep. He says it's got a lot of appeal for enterprise grade web apps where boring simple table layout is more than enough. And yep. um, I'm kind of thinking it. I was thinking of it kind of like that um, a data set sort of thing. If basically I've got a database that I want to front end for, but if but I you know, it's not necessarily SQL or something or data set just freaks me out maybe. Um, but something like this is I think pretty nice. And the, the, I think a lot of enterprise projects will be using, using this to play with. So yeah, um, actually thinking about it for my own, uh, uh, for yeah, an internal looks, project myself. So yeah, sure. It looks quite neat and, and being based on fast API. Yeah. Um, boy, would it be cool if there was a run it locally as an electron app like thing Oh yeah, where, where the Electron app shipped with Python and just ran a hidden yeah, build a user interface server. So like yeah. it becomes a, make it a, a thing, an exe or a dot app I could share with my users. Yeah. It's, but and, yeah, I agree. I agree with Kim that forms over data, this nails it. Yeah. And like you said, if, I mean, a most web app, a web, a lot of web developers, it doesn't take that much web training to, to write some HTML. And I mean, to do it well, it takes a little bit, but, um, but to do it, good enough for a lot of projects it's not bad and or a normal html css and the normal tool chain is still pretty good or build a django app or something but um there's a lot of people that don't even that don't even want to get into it at all so i think this is a good fit for that so anyway indeed and chris may asked about you know hey i wonder what the escape hatch story is it's always a good question when you're in a framework that kind of defines so much for you like well what if i went a little bit more uh, then what? So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Brian, is it a good time to remind people that maybe they should check out a, a course or two? Yeah, sure. Let's. Um, I will. So I'll, I'll remind people that this, uh, this episode is brought to you by both of us, uh, Michael and Brian. And the thing that I've been working on a lot lately is courses, courses.pythontest.com. And that is, the complete PyTest course. And uh, it's almost done. We'll be done this month. Um, I've got 13 out of 16 chapters done so far, and it will grow then um, after after I've gone through the entire Python testing with PyTest book, there's extras there. And as I've noted before, there's a lot of stuff at the end um, that has changed a lot, like talks and CI and things uh, since the book came out. So um, it's pretty excited. So how about you? Yeah, very awesome. Uh, I just want to like highlight maybe some of our new courses. We have an early access Visual Studio Code for Python developers course, which is partway done, but available in early access mode if you want to check that out. We have a data science jumpstart with 10 projects from Matt Harrison and uh, HTMX plus Django nice. course by Christopher Trudeau. So 
all of those are excellent and we got plenty more coming as well so people should check those out sweet all right let's go to mastodon so this one's not exactly python but there are python elements to it and basically i said like we talked about this after the show and i thought you know why don't i just have this conversation for people out there and I'll, I'll throw out a list it's like i've got a bunch of emails uh, I want to be able to reach out to people. I want to run a newsletter or I want to run a training company and a podcast, you know, and I want to gather those up. And for many years, I've been using MailChimp and they just increasingly rub me the wrong way. It's just on principle. I'm, I'm not super keen about it. Like three months ago, they're like, oh, we got to raise our prices because the database storage for your 20K or whatever it turns out to be is really rough. So it's another $100. Then the next month, like, oh, we're going to need to re raise our prices. It's another hundred dollars on top of the previous another hundred dollars and i'm just like i'm not really using a lot of this and it's i kind of want to look for something else right so i went to mastodon and said hey folks mailchimp alternatives and boy oh boy did we get like a ton of conversation <laughs> about this and so i've gathered this all up and put the results of that into um into a list that i posted on the show notes so I just want to run through this really quick because there's some interesting choices for people that have like small or large mailing lists, right? So yeah. they come from all these different places and, and interesting choices. So for example, uh, one of them is called email octopus because it, you know how much it can send like eight times as much email as like a regular, maybe four, like a two-handed creature with all of its eight arms, it can really send email. Now, so this one is email marketing, which is kind of interesting. There's ListMonk, which is an open source, free, self-hosted newsletter and mailing list manager. Interesting, right? With 12,000 GitHub stars. There's Kalia, which uh, is similar, is also open source, gemacht in Deutschland, made in Germany. Very, very cool and looks kind of visually nice, right? There's Mailey Herald, <laughs> which is a Ruby on Rails one, also self-hosted, which is kind of fun. There's Send Portal again. So I didn't know about so many of these open source ones. And that's kind of why I thought it might, it might be interesting to point this out to people on the show, right? Like there's yeah. actually a bunch of open source ones. Quite sadly, I haven't found a decent Python one. So there's that. There's Brevo, which is another one. Um, button Down. This one is not open source, but it is made with Python open source. So I talked to the guy who runs Button Down, and this one is written in Django. So if you want your newsletters powered by Django. I don't think it's open source, but anyway, pretty, pretty neat option there. There's Zoho, which is pretty cool. Cindy, here's another cool one. Cindy is also self-hosted, but you, it's not open source, but you buy it once for like $70 and then you run it on your system. And what's cool is it hooks into AWS SES, which is our simple email service which if you send a bunch of emails, you probably have. I don't. I do, but I don't use it. I have SendGrid, which it also works with, and MailJet and Elastic email. And the thing that's cool about these is you can send like 10,000 emails for a dollar, <laughs> right? And it's based on consumption, right? Like even if I don't send a mail in MailChimp, it's many hundreds of dollars <laughs> to just say, well, we're going to keep your database records fresh for you. We'll, we'll sit here. Um, but this one, it's like, you know, they say a hundred times cheaper. I mean, obviously it matters how you use it, but you plug it into one of these super, super simple things and they'll even set it up for you. You can pay them like another 70 bucks and they'll set up a server an Ubuntu server or Linux server. I'll set it for you. So this is one I'm actually thinking of going with potentially. And there's ConvertKit, Mautic, I don't know, open source marketing instead of just email, uh, Constant Contact. I don't have any relations with any of these, by the way, folks. Get Response, ConvertKit, all of those. So if you want to see the 
uh, Mastodon conversation about why people suggested them. Some people are like, oh, I worked with that, but it sucked. Don't use that. Uh, and so on. You can check it out. So I thought there's probably enough people out there who are going like, I have this problem and I just see so many choices and what are they? Maybe there's open source. Maybe there's some Python thing. So there it is. So we don't have a solution, but we, you've got something. Well, I'll, well, I can report back to people how things yeah. go. So it's a fork in the road for me, right? Yeah. Um, on one hand, I don't really do, I don't do any tracking of people. And so I don't know, like retargeting and all these kind of like campaigns where like, if you come and visit this page, but then two days you visit that page, then we're going to send, you know, like that kind of stuff. I don't really do that. Uh, so I just basically send emails to people. And in that case, right, you should be looking at something simpler. Maybe one of those open source ones is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do really interesting automations, which maybe I should look into, I don't know. Uh, then maybe one of the real simple ones is not the right choice. So I should either go way more simpler or more advanced, but I'm in this like middle ground paying tons of money for something that I don't really appreciate. And I've also finally wrapping this, put a bow on this. People have said, well, you know, you can just use mail merge with Excel, with uh, Google uh, Sheets and like send it out of your Gmail. Like, no, <laughs> that's awesome. If you want, if you run like a, um, like a, a soccer team <laughs> and you want to send them a message or something like that but if you have to be subjected to the u.s can spam act the gdpr people delete my stuff um delete yeah. my my info you have on me um i want to unsubscribe i want to partially unsubscribe or my mail bounced and you got to stop sending like all of that no you can't just like automate send even out of send grid is not enough right you need to have a whole back end that like deals with all that crap yeah and that's what all, a lot of these like open source ones bring so Anyway, pretty cool. Newsletter is more, having a newsletter is more complicated than people think because it it's just is. Um, <laughs> it's way more complicated. And, and the weird thing that like the first time I tried to set one up was that you have to put your address down, and um, so yes. it's it's kind of a weird yeah. quirk. It makes sense, but also it's weird. But it, it kind of doesn't make sense. <laughs> it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like. Yeah. Do I really just have to put my house there? What can I put there? Like, but because the U.S. Can Spam Act, I think, is the reason that that is there. And, yeah. you know, that's the government, right? Like, maybe we should have cook up cookie banners that everyone clicks like five times an hour a day for the rest of their life. That's going to make things better. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I used to like, um, I, I know we've done this enough, but sorry about that. Um, the uh, I used to do MailChimp, but I had a P.O. box set up just for that. And I was like, yeah. I don't use it for anything. So instead of paying the post office, yeah. I switched to paying uh, ConvertKit because Convert. One of the things ConvertKit does is you can use their address, which uh, oh, interesting, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but um, I'm 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 still on the fence on ConvertKit. I'm trying it out, so we'll see. I'm, yeah, we can both report back to people. Yep. and see, but it's right. tricky stuff. So anyway, hopefully that helps some folks. Now, completely change of gears. Um, back to command line interfaces. I talked about user interfaces um, on GUIs, but let's talk CLIs a little bit. Um, so back on episode, uh, what was it, 361, we talked about appeal. Um, and I've talked about arc parse and click and typer and stuff like that before. Appeal was another one. Uh, and um, and this all came out because I, I did an episode on uh, on Python test about um, arc parse applications and testing. So Somebody, actually Sander76 um, uh, on Fostodon, uh, contacted me and said, hey, there's a bunch of other options other than the ones you've covered so far. Uh, have you looked at these and how do you test them? I don't have an answer about how to test them, but I was interested in this whole 
kind of line of thing. So there's a there's a a, a set of command line interface tools that instead of um, uh, instead of arg parse style or something of telling you know defining flags, they define it based on an object, a configurable object. So um, his uh, clipstick, for instance, let's let's start with Tyro. This is one of the early ones. It's kind of easy to figure out. Tyro is a is a command line interface uh, tool that you can use uh, data classes or Pydantic or adders to define the the all the options. So, for instance, uh, here's an example it was showing in the video. Um, you can take a you import Tyro and then you define a data class with uh, types on on a bunch of args. You just it doesn't matter what it is what's called, but you have a class with a bunch of elements in it. And those are the things that you can pass to your application now. And then you just, uh, you, you implement a Tyro CLI uh, application. That's, um, that's the arguments. And that's, it's kind of cool on parsing args that way. Um, so that, uh, that's Tyro. And then there's, um, there's Clipstick, which is kind of cute. So like CLI. Is, like yeah. Clipstick. Yeah. Anyway, um, that defines, a, a defines all of your types within a, um, a base model, like from Pydantic, a Pydantic base model. And then you can define a whole bunch of types in there. Um, and then you can, and it has help and all that stuff. So basing it on a, on a, a Pydantic object. And then also there's, um, there's a, a, a nicely designed website called the, with uh, Pydantic arc parse, so arc parse with Pydantic. So the, there's another one that's um, uh, defining uh, arguments based on a base model. Um, and I just I haven't played with these yet. I just wanted to report back that these are some different ways to def- to set up user interfaces using um, using like Pydantic or data classes or adders or something like that yeah. as an object. And then and then you have instead of you get like this args object. Instead of having a whole bunch of different elements, you have like this object with all of your arguments that you can pass around. And since it's things like Pydantic, you can do things. I'm I haven't played with it, but I'm guessing that you can do things like limit the scope. So it's not just an integer, but it's an integer between one and five or something like that. Um, right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So these are fun. Those are super fun. Yeah, Pydantic is great. Typing for this kind of stuff is great because. It's usually not open-ended, right? That should be a number. And if it's not, it's going to be a problem. Or that should be a string for the host name. And yeah. it's required. All these things like really map over to that validation side of Pedantic. But I do want to, so uh, from uh, Sandra76's question, how do you test these? Or or is testing easier? Um, it is a good question. And I, it, I've put it on my to-do list for Janu- January or sometime in 2024 <laughs> to take a look at. So I'll have to report back about that also. Yeah, so, very nice. Maybe. Very nice. So it's the uh, Samuel Colvin and team day for you with fast UI and the yeah. Pydantic based stuff. Yeah, indeed. Good stuff. So, all right. Extras. You want me to do mine first? Yeah, let's hit yours first. All right. Well, I have one and it's super quick. So I just, you know, there was this um, announcement here that Google is, uh, Google Chrome in particular, is looking to limit ad blockers and start like limiting how much control people have over their privacy and data and stuff with what's called the manifest v3 um, API for basically for using um, extensions. And the main rule here is that they're limiting how many domains and rules you can apply to block basically to limit network traffic. So you can say, well, there's 500 ads 
you can block, but those are the only 500, right? Which really limits it. So people were whining. I'm like, you know what? Why don't I just write an article? Because like I could turn all that stuff off and I don't care at my house. And you could too. Just instead of worrying about what these browsers are doing, just go and turn on a network level ad blocker. Like you can use Next DNS, which I've talked about before, or you can, if you want to run your own server and only have it when you're home, you can use Pihole, which I know that's super awesome, but Next DNS is a service, which so when you're at the coffee shop or traveling or on your phone, you can also have the benefit of Pihole. But anyway, talked a lot about how, how that works and how you set it up with some cool graphs, like it's like 10,000 block queries on my network for just two people for a little bit. And also, this is all great. Once you set this up, though, when you get to a place that says, hey, you have to disable your ad blocker or you can't watch this movie, read this article, you're like, you know what? I hate you, but just for a minute, I have to do this because I really, really need to get here. It talks about how you can set up a second browser. Like for me, it's Firefox, not Vivaldi. Like Vivaldi's my main one, but Firefox, I set it up to use a DNS over HTTPS, but one that doesn't block like Cloudflare or something that doesn't filter anything. So if I have to escape my, my blocking network for whatever reason, I can just run Firefox and it tunnels out of all this restrictions, which is usually nice, but when you need to turn it off, you got to turn it off. So there's quick article, essay, whatever you want to call it for people to check out. Yeah. Things like that still bug me though. Like the turn off ad blockers, there's, it's not, can't be that high of a percentage of the population that's turning them off. So yeah, I know. Weird. Yeah. There was uh, one show, it was like Peacock or Paramount. One of those streaming platforms would not let my wife watch some show because it says she had her ad blocker on. Of course she didn't. She had, she was on the Wi-Fi, which was blocking everything. Um, and also the side the extra benefit here is this means your mobile apps have ad blockers built in. This means your TV has an ad blocker built in. This means like everything has an ad blocker built in, not just your browser, right? So um, all this whinging over like whether or not you're, you can do blocking in a browser, like, you know, you could just do better and it's not even your problem anymore, right? Yeah. So, we'll have to yeah, check but, so yeah, it was super, she's like, well, Michael, how do I watch this? I'm like, I don't know, actually. I'm sorry, but I don't want to turn it off for the whole everything, right? Like, I just want to let you watch your movies. How do you do that? So that's in there as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Okay. I've got a few extras. Uh, Won't take long, though. Uh, Django 5 released yesterday. Um, We've already talked about all the cool features of Django 5, didn't we? I think you covered it a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, But um, it... I just noticed that it is, um, it's not a beta or anything anymore. It's, uh, it's released. So as of December 4th, it's all grown up. Yeah. So that's awesome. I'm excited to play with that. Um, so that that's fun. A, and then something submitted by Paul Barry. So thank you is, um, it's Brian seem, he says, Brian seems to like Vim and you can use Vim key bindings in a lot of places. And so <laughs> he sent over the Vim key bindings everywhere. The ultimate list. And uh, it is a GitHub repo with a whole bunch of awesome uh, things like uh, debuggers and uh, like Vim PDB. I didn't know you could do that. That's that would be fun. Um, IPython, you can turn uh, VI key bindings on with IPython. Um, anyway, uh, quite a few fun um, f- fun settings and telling you how to do it for different things. So even nice. email clients. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. None of them uh, I use, but I used to use Mutt a long time ago. Uh, yeah, I don't see mine either. But that's so Thunderbird. Cool. I should try that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, okay. So, um, and then I've got for my last extra, I have a little drama. So I talked about last week that I think that Python, or we have before, the test and code is now Python test, uh, my other podcast. But I left it on the domain test and code for a while. But 
uh, recently I tried switching it to to podcast. So what we're looking at now is podcast.pythontest.com. So the new URL is that. Um, but if you just go to if you just go to pythontest.com, there's a there's a link to the podcast, so you can find it that way. It's podcast.pythontest.com. Anyway, what do I do with the old domain? I redirected it, but it didn't work. I don't know what I did wrong. I contacted uh, Namecheap, and they said looks fine to us. Um, so not sure what went wrong. So I changed it, changed the uh, DNS settings last night to uh, to just point to like a small site. So um, a small site that looks like this this morning that just says, hey, I'm here testing code. The podcast moved. It's over there. Um, and so just so that it won't 404 on people. And I also have some redirects. So if you say like testingcode.com slash 23, it'll redirect to the 23rd episode over on the other one. Awesome. Except it didn't work last night. I was pulling my hair out. And then uh, I woke up this morning and it worked on my phone, but not here yet. So um, I know that there's this thing of saying, if you ever muck with DNS, it can take up to 72 hours to like ripple through the internet. I haven't ever had to deal with that before. It's always been pretty quick whenever I muck with DNS settings. Apparently I'm hitting that. So hopefully in a few days, it'll be all resolved. And so now I have to reset my uh, uh, days since it last DNS problem um, to zero. Um, so <laughs> days since last. Oh my God, that is so amazing. I love it. <laughs> so I'm showing a... It an Etsy, I, I think you can find them lots of places, but there's an Etsy st sticker that says zero days since it, it was DNS. And in parentheses, it's always DNS. <laughs> it is. Anyway. Oh my gosh, Brian. Are you are you foreshadowing here? Maybe. Do you know what I did this whole weekend? I have two things to cover from my extras. Okay. Um, well, I, I covered the one. And I also just realized I wanted to give a quick mention just in case. I spent my, I don't have a thing to show, but so let's just leave this up because it's perfect. Okay. I spent all of the weekend and a good chunk of Monday migrating domains from different places. I have a bunch of old ones at GoDaddy because 15 years ago, that seemed all right. <laughs> yeah. And they're super hard to get out of there. Um, so I've got a bunch at Google domains because I thought Google domains is beautiful until Google decided to shut that down because apparently it's too much work to store like a DNS file that's it's a hundred characters. I don't know. Because it's a commodity now and they can't make money off of it. Uh. I know. I know. Anyway, I, I can understand it. But anyway, so I had like, well, I don't want to stuff on that thing that's like shutting down. I got to move that off and I got one, some others in other places. So moving that all together, holy moly, does that take some time. And sometimes they move quickly. Sometimes they don't. Some of the domains have um, security turned on that if they transfer, it takes three days for it to disable, but the domain will transfer right away. But if you transfer it to, if you reset it too quickly, it'll like just permanently stop working. Some of them have to have SSL as part of the DNS definition, uh, like uh, .dev requires only SSL. But if you want to use Let's Encrypt, well, it's got to resolve to someplace, but it can't resolve to someplace until it has SSL. You're like, okay, who decided to invent a catch-22 for domain names? Like, oh. Ah, so the last, one of the last ones switching is pythonbytes.fm, which I requested after a 45 minute phone call, figure out why GoDaddy couldn't give me the access code to do the switch. <laughs> I finally did this morning and I got it, <laughs> but I hope everyone gets to hear from us after it switches. <laughs> so if there's the reason, the whole reason to tell the story is that for some reason it stops working, it will be back. I apologize. 
I'll get it. I'll get it there. I think it's going to go seamlessly. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Fingers okay. crossed for this one. So we need to buy these stickers in bulk then. Um, <laughs> We're going to zero days since it was DNS. It's always DNS. Yeah, so <laughs> we need to get those ordered now. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Mojo is asking where I ended up. I ended up, let me do it like this so I don't give away the joke. Um, I ended up at hover.com. Okay. Bear, it's the one thing that they do. They don't do other stuff. They don't kill white rhinos for sport nor do they not care about their DNS. It's like their job. So it seemed like a good place so far. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> All right. So you already had probably the best joke for the show, but I've got a joke as well. You ready for it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I love this. So Yeah. So Chris, no, Josh Collinsworth, sorry, um, came up with this thing and it looks like some kind of code he's written. It's over on codepen.io that generates these. So um, it's an honest LinkedIn notification generator. So, you know, you go to like your activity or your notifications and it tells you stuff. Well, this one tells you stuff that is, you know, more in line with the reality of LinkedIn rather than what LinkedIn wants to tell you. So here's a picture of this woman. It says, congratulate a near stranger for tears at a job you didn't know they had. They had. And then awesome. there's like a, there, yeah, it's so good. There's like a blurred picture of somebody. It says, someone looked at your profile. Who? We're holding that information for ransom. It says, is uh smiling guy says follow the worst coworker you've ever had for their sudden unsolicited insights and it just goes on and on i think it even has infinite scroll somebody connected with your first manager from uh from your job in 2014 reacted to a former classmate's post thought you should know <laughs> want to be influencers shared an incredibly crappy opinion just for the engagement click to engage never hire anyone who writes css ever no css <laughs> so on and so on it's just it's so good wish that guy who made you cry in the bathroom a happy birthday <laughs> that was great oh good. that was that was uh did you already get the one where it was like free work the free labor one? Oh yeah no oh, yeah. where is no, it the, no right there you're you're one of the few experts invited oh yeah yeah you're one of the few experts invited to slash <laughs> do free unpaid labor uh, rather add to this collaborative article how do you exploit users without them noticing well, I've been getting those like a whole bunch lately, and I and I actually clicked on it one. I'm like, what are they talking about? Oh, they want me to write articles for free? Uh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I got Chris. one this morning, even. So I got not one of these, but I got uh, congratulate John Gould on his new or Gold uh, on his new uh, promotion, and I'm like, he owns the company. I don't under. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. A good little pat on the old back there, John. Good job. Giving yourself a promotion there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Chris uh, Taylor and 36 others at Soul Sucking Corporation shared this post from the CEO in hopes of avoiding the next round of layoffs. <laughs> These are good. Get a lot of those. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't it's know funny. if it's too dark, but those, that's what I brought for the joke. <laughs> I think it's great. I think yeah, I do too. I, I kind of like LinkedIn to like keep in touch with people and uh, keep up your resume and stuff like that. But I don't actually ever use it as a finding new articles through yeah service but anyway there's a whole group of people who do i don't think i'm part of it either but yeah i'm not the target audience so it's all right yeah all right well thanks again for a lovely python bites absolutely bye see you bye. later